Hi guys, this is Fatal Tales. My name's Katie. And I'm Azra. And today we're going to be covering a really interesting case. It's going to be a two-parter again, so hopefully you guys enjoy it and come back for the next one. Yeah, so for this week we're going to kind of be focusing on Jennifer Pan's life and all the lies that she told leading up to the crime. Yeah, so we're not going to bury the lead on this one. You guys will know right off the bat that Jennifer Pan is a conspiring murderer. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But the reason and, like, the lead-up to all of this is the most interesting part, in my opinion. Yeah. Kind of her backstory and the lies that she tells is absolutely the most interesting part of this case, more so than the actual crime itself. Right. So, hopefully you guys really enjoy this case. I know... I find it super fascinating, Azra finds it super fascinating, and it should be just kind of a unique one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we wanted to do a quick trigger warning before we started the case, that we are going to be talking about self-harm in this episode. We will give warning before we talk about it, but just a warning in case this episode is something that you feel like you want to skip out on, just so you guys know. We won't be talking about it in any detail or like anything like that it'll just be mentioned during the course of the episode so yeah it's just one instance that we will give warning to before it happens but just an upfront warning also we are gonna do our best with the names in this episode but if we do mess up please let us know if you know how to pronounce them correctly because we want to be able to correct ourselves but we are gonna do our best Right. I mean, I don't speak Vietnamese, so I'm going to try. If I fail, I'm so sorry. (laughs) So yeah, I'll go ahead and get into it. So first we'll talk a little bit about Jennifer's parents. So her parents are named Bic Ha and Hue Han Pen. They immigrated from Vietnam separately as refugees at the end of the 1970s. Han had come alone while Bic had sought asylum in Canada with her family. So they knew each other when they were in Vietnam, and when they got to Canada, they kind of reconnected and started dating. And then eventually they got married and ended up moving to Scarborough, Ontario. Now, both of them worked at an auto parts manufacturer. Han worked as a tool and die maker, and Bic made car parts. They both lived extremely frugally, and they worked to save up money for, like, the family that they wanted to have. They were you know, neither of them had, like, insanely high-paying jobs, but they worked really hard, and they saved, and they didn't spend more than they made. They were saving as much as they possibly could, kind of, their whole lives to provide for their family and to have a good life. Right, and something to note is that both Bic and Han both viewed their own respective futures as kind of gone. They thought that because they were both in their late 20s and that because they were immigrants who could barely speak English in Canada, they had both kind of resigned themselves to the fact that neither of them would end up with successful careers in a well-respected field. And when I say well-respected field, I mean well-respected to them in like medicine or engineering or something that they would think would be a well-respected field. Even though they worked insanely hard and what they did was, is in my opinion, I respect what they did. So they kind of thought that there was no use in working towards their own future and like creating a future career for themselves. And so they made it their goal to build a life for their own future children. 
one in which their future children could have successful careers and top educations. Han and Bic also craved to show their status in the world through money, and so they worked extremely hard to deliver themselves these goals. Han also had serious goals for his future children. He thought that one would go into the medical field and one would be a mechanical engineer, like he had one day hoped to be back in Vietnam. Right, so obviously he kind of had this very specific direction, and because they felt like their lives were a little bit over, it kind of leads into the way that they acted with their family and their kids. Now, Mm -hmm. they had a daughter first, and her name is Jennifer. That's Jennifer Pan, the one that we're going to be pretty much telling the whole case about. She was born in 1986, and then she had a younger brother that was born three years later. His name is Felix. The Pan home is a very traditional one. After Jennifer and Felix had been born, Bic stayed home with the children while Han continued to work. Most days, Han worked overtime in order to save up for his kids' futures, and when he was home, he was very strict and unforgiving. Bic is kind of the warm mother. She's like the glue of the household that holds everything together. She was also very strict, but she didn't have quite as high of expectations, and she, you know, kind of understood that her children were people and not just extensions of herself that she could push really hard. Even though Bic didn't always agree with Han, essentially most of the time what he said was what went so he kind of pushed them really hard was very strict and Bic kind of just went along with that so going along with what Han's expectations were for his children and especially for Jennifer as she grew older he had plans in his mind of exactly what he wanted her life to be like And this resulted in him being very disciplinarian with her. When she misbehaved, he showed deep, deep disappointment in her. But when she achieved something, he barely gave her any praise for it. And this is because Jennifer was just expected to succeed. So when she succeeded at something, it was just her meeting expectations that were already there. But when she disappointed or didn't succeed at something, it was like... It was the worst thing that she could possibly do. When she was younger, Jennifer was very much a people pleaser. And so she had kind of convinced herself that she did not mind this pressure from her parents because she wanted to make them proud. Right. Now, Han and Bic kept Jennifer on a very strict schedule of extracurricular activities. So they kind of wanted her to do these things outside of school that would make her like a skilled person a well-rounded person they would give her like you know hobbies or whatever so at four she was put into piano lessons and then she was put in figure skating at six she also participated in swimming and wushu which is a martial arts however the two most important hobbies that she had were piano and figure skating Neither of these were her choice, but she did grow to love them over time. In fact, she saw skating kind of as a release from her scheduled life and piano as a form of therapy. Which I think kind of makes sense that she kind of saw those two as a release because it was kind of the only break that she would get from her parents and the pressure. Right. So despite liking both skating and piano, the pressure was still on her for both of them because her parents placed her in competitions for both of them and Jennifer was expected 
to place in top three at the minimum each time in both skating and piano, preferably in first place, which the very, very hardworking Jennifer always placed in the top three. And speaking of the pressure, according to Jennifer, while she did love skating practice, the competitions were not fun for her at all because not only was she scared of falling like most figure skaters are while they're at competitions, but she was also as scared, if not more scared, of letting down her father who was in the stands watching her, which really speaks to how much pressure was on her from her father because I feel like if anything, if you fail or if you fall or whatever and you're at a competition, it's your parents you're going to go to for comfort, not to yell at you, you know? Right. I mean, I think that there's kind of a lot of kids that get put under this pressure, but you expect that they wouldn't be. Like, you don't, it's not something that you, like, are like, oh, yeah, everyone gets that kind of pressure. It's just, like, a few kids per competition are gonna have like that insane amount of pressure put on them and it never turns out well they're never well-adjusted adults no it's it's definitely not healthy and i just personally i can't imagine it because i feel like i'm really lucky because my parents would never put that kind of pressure on me i don't know it just kind of really heartbreaking and it really sucks that kids are put under this kind of pressure from their parents because it really isn't healthy right yeah, I had a lot of friends at rodeo that their parents were pretty bad. I hate that. So not only was Jennifer also expected to perform well in her extracurricular activities, but she was expected to perform very well in school as well. So she was enrolled in a Catholic elementary school, and she was expected to bring home top grades from the very first grade. She was also, by the guidance and encouragement of her parents, pushed to learn math two years before the rest of her grade. Jesus Christ. I know, I know. Fuck math. (laughs) Well, and it's just like, why? Why? Like, what's the point? Exactly. I don't understand what the point of this is. Like, why do you need to learn math early? Where does that get you? I don't even use the math that I learned anyway. (laughs) Right? You don't use math. Um, Like, you, you, you you use basic like addition and multiplication but other than that you don't use math in everyday life unless you're like a fucking physicist i don't know anyways fucking useless but in response to this pressure jennifer worked hard as usual she worked extremely hard through elementary school she usually didn't go outside to play with her friends like all the other kids and instead chose to spend time in the school office helping administrators A former teacher of hers said that if she ever underperformed on an assignment, she would take the mark to heart and be extremely heartbroken. Like, she could not get over any bad mark. And all her teachers knew that she was trying to meet unhealthy standards set by her parents at home. So, like, even her teachers knew, like, this is a kid who's under an absurd amount of pressure. Right. That's so sad. I just, I hate that, like, parents are allowed to do this. I do, too. It's very common, though, in, um, like, within immigrant families, especially, like, um, Asian families, and not just, like, she's Vietnamese specifically, but, like, most Asian families. Like, I'm Indian, like, so I'm South Asian, and a lot of my friends were Indian as well, 
throughout high school and um like most of them were under this kind of pressure like a lot of immigrant families especially like asian immigrant families are like this it's very very common that's so sad because like i feel like with situations like this like i said it doesn't ever end up like the the kids just like super well adjusted and doing great like usually there's some kind of issues whether that's you know like jennifer's case or whether it's you know just that you're you know anxious and depressed because you don't have like you have pushed yourself for so long right i mean i think that it is that when you immigrant to a country like canada or the united states or you're a refugee in a country like this like jennifer's parents were first of all a lot of um a lot of asian countries like subjects like math and science are the most important like much more than like english or social studies you know like math and science are the most important and fields like medicine or engineering those are seen as like kind of like the top fields that you can be in right a lot of people that i know like most of my friends went into engineering after high school right just because like that's what their parents wanted them to do right and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that when you're coming to a country it's like you want your family to be settled well and you want your family to have that higher status and you don't want your family to be seen as below because a lot of the time immigrants are seen as not as well educated as having a lower socioeconomic status but if you can somehow prove that you've like had a really top education and that you're making a lot of money in one of these fields then it's kind of like proving that stereotype wrong yeah does that make sense yeah no i i understand it's just it still sucks oh no it absolutely fucking sucks like the amount of pressure that like a lot of people that i know have been under is crazy like I feel really lucky that my parents weren't under didn't put me under that kind of pressure like when I tell people that I wasn't under that kind of pressure from my parents they're surprised they think it's fucking weird right but yeah because that's kind of just the cultural standard it is it is and I think most Asian immigrant families I think it is this the standard I think it is that's hard And like we're saying, I mean, Jennifer's friends in school had kind of a similar life to Jennifer's. They were friendly with each other, but they all cared a whole lot about grades and seemed to be under a lot of pressure from their parents. Within Jennifer's friend group, there was kind of constant competition about whose grades were better. And again, remember, this is elementary school. (laughs) So to be like competing with grades in elementary school is very intense. This kind of reminds me a lot of my friends growing up through elementary school, middle school, and part of high school. Um, Like, competing about your grades. Like I said, my parents didn't put any pressure on me, but I put a lot of pressure on myself just because I don't know why, because I hate myself. (laughs) Um, But I put a lot of pressure on myself, but all my friends had parents putting pressure on on them. And so there was this constant competition happening in our friend group like with grades back in from elementary school I remember like it was really toxic and really unhealthy and it made me kind of hate all the friends that I had 
Yeah, that's so rough. I had this very vivid memory of when I was 16 and my grandpa died. The very first day that I went back to school, it was like probably the worst day I've ever had in high school. And I like got to lunch and I just was like having a breakdown. And I sat down at lunch with my friends and I started crying. And my best friend looked at me and she was like, why are you crying? Did you fail a math test? Jesus Christ. And she knew, like, she knew that my grandpa had just died. And I looked at her and I was like, what the fuck? No, my grandpa died. And she was like, I know. So did you fail a math test? Is that why you're crying? What the fuck? I know. I don't talk to her anymore. I stopped being friends with her, like, halfway through 12th grade. I fucking blocked her and everything because she was a bitch. But... (laughs) Jesus Christ. Like, that's just kind of the toxicity that was like festering in that in that particular friend group you know yeah that's so gross yeah but that's just like an example of what it's what it's like yeah definitely now the interesting thing to me is although like her friend group kind of had the same vibe and all of her friends kind of were under the same pressure her brother felix was treated differently by her parents so When they were growing up, they were extremely close, but Jennifer was held to very high standards, and Felix really wasn't. He got bad marks in school, and Han seemingly didn't care. A lot of this could be attributed to gender roles, but it also could be that Jennifer is, like, the firstborn, and she's supposed to, like, you know, carry the family forward. And so it kind of drove a wedge between them and definitely made Jennifer feel like her parents didn't care. That really fucking sucks. It really does. So, despite how tough these expectations set by Han seem, he did love his children. You know, like he loved them a lot. He woke up at he woke up at five a.m. every day for work. He worked an extremely extremely hard job. He worked overtime most days. Bic wanted to visit Vietnam badly, but the two didn't go back home ever to visit because they wanted to save for their children's futures before putting money into a vacation for themselves, which says a lot. He was very, very proud of all of her achievements. The first thing that he would do if a visitor ever came to their home would be to show them all of Jennifer's trophies and awards that she had gotten because he was so proud of her. He did love her, he just pushed her too hard, one could argue. I mean, I think that there's a difference between, like, being a, you know, good breadwinner and being a, like, good and supportive parent. Yeah, like, I think you can love someone and not be a good parent at the same time. (laughs) Right. Now, throughout the years, Jennifer collected numerous awards from piano and figure skating. She also got year-end awards from school, but the big prize that Han had his eye on for Jennifer was the honor of being picked as the valedictorian of her 8th grade graduation. I don't know about you guys, I didn't even know that 8th grade had a valedictorian. (laughs) Nope, there definitely wasn't a valedictorian at my, like, middle school graduation. I don't think there was at least. Maybe there fucking was and I had no idea, but... (laughs) I mean, I certainly didn't care if there was. Yeah. I mean, I didn't care about any of those fucking awards. I'm gonna be honest, because who cares about your middle school awards? Like, literally nobody looks at your middle school awards. 
Yeah. If you put them on your resume and you're a grown-ass adult, people will think you're a fucking weirdo. And you would be. You really would be. (laughs) Obviously, this may not seem like a big deal to us, but to Jennifer it was, and to Han it was. She was also told that she should aim for the Vancouver Olympics for figure skating and the Beijing Olympics for martial arts in the future. So... They're not just, like, putting a little bit of pressure on her in one area. They're basically, like, consuming her entire life with this pressure. Um, That is so much pressure to put on. She's 12 or 13 years old. That's so much pressure. In the future, you're gonna be in the fucking Olympics no matter what. Are you kidding me? Right. In two sports. Not just one sport, but two sports. You should be aiming for the Olympics. two separate Olympics. Fucking ridiculous. This is a child. Right. And, like, I mean, I understand if you're really good at something and you're, like, doing very well and, like, you're, you know, like, competitive and you're, you know, maybe competing at a national level, I can understand why your parents might be like, oh, the Olympics would be cool. But, like, I feel like your job as the parent at that stage is to be like, but realize it's not very realistic, you know, like, only a handful of people make it to the Olympics, not you'd better be aiming for the Olympics and that's your goal. Right. And if anything, it should be the kid that's like, I want to go to the Olympics and the parent should be like, if that's what you want, you can aim for it. But make sure that your health, you, you don't put too much stress on yourself and you have time to have fun and to have a life and to do well in school and to not put too much pressure on yourself that you get sick. Right. Like and that's what a parent should do. Right. And Jennifer's parents pretty much did the opposite. In fact, by the time that Jennifer was in eighth grade, she was experiencing depression and she was continuing to work harder than most kids in every single area of her life but she was feeling unloved and unseen and uncared for by her parents which makes sense because she's doing all of this she's working really hard and it doesn't seem like like it seems like oh okay great you're doing what we asked but we want you to do more it seems like every time she meets a goal that she that they've set for her, it's like they set another bigger goal. And every time they set a new goal, a new goal, it's one that almost feels like she can't meet. Right, it's, it's something so that's Right. Now, psychologist Helen Shu says that a feeling of deep internal emptiness and insecurity can be amplified if a teen does not feel loved and supported by family, which is absolutely what was going on in Jennifer's case. Helen Shu also talks a lot about Asian American families. And so she said, quote, Asian American families tend to show love by pushing their kids academically, providing good food, but tend to demonstrate far less verbal and physical affection than Western families, end quote. So she was kind of attributing this to why teens don't feel loved and supported by family and how that can cause a feeling of deep internal emptiness and insecurity, which Jennifer was feeling. Right. So kind of getting back to the schedule that Jennifer was put on by her parents, the schedule that she was on throughout all of elementary school was fucking insane. And as she got older, by the end of elementary school, it was just mental. I don't know how she was able to do it because if I was on the schedule right now, I would lose my mind. Basically, she would get home from figure skating practice at 10 o'clock at night, study until midnight, and then go to bed. And this is an eighth grader. This is an eighth grader. (laughs) Yeah. 
So she's like 12 or 13 years old. Cool. Um, and then probably waking up at like 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning to get to school. Cool. Like, yeah. you know, legitimate. Sounds just about right. <laughs> right. Um, also, in their home, no friendships were truly encouraged or fostered throughout her childhood because... The Pans kind of thought that the only relationships that were important were the ones in the family, and that any friendships or outsiders would kind of come in the way of the schedule that the Pans had created for Jennifer. God. So because of this, she was only allowed to go to birthday parties of her classmates occasionally, and that's if they didn't conflict with her extremely rigid schedule set by her parents. So a lot of the times, even if she was able to go to birthday parties, she would get dropped off late or picked up early. Cool. Which is really embarrassing for a kid, you know? Right. Like, you don't want to be the kid that barely ever shows up, and then when they do show up, they get dropped off late or picked up early. Like, right. it's just, it just fucking sucks. That's horrible. I hate that so much. Now, when Jennifer's eighth grade graduation did come, she was crushed because she was not named the valedictorian, and she also did not win any other awards or anything like that. So she felt like an utter disappointment, and like all of the work that she had been putting in was for nothing. She said about her 8th grade graduation, All that hard work accumulated to nothing or no credibility at the end of grade 8. So I just thought that in high school, what was the point in trying? Now, we can kind of see this as a certain turning point in Jennifer's life where she had been working so hard and doing everything that her parents asked, and it still didn't pay off. And so from here we kind of begin to see a very different Jennifer emerge. Oh, yeah. This is kind of where the episode title, Jennifer Pan's Web of Lies, starts to begin to form as she begins high school. So Jennifer attended Mary Ward Catholic Secondary School in Scarborough. So this high school had a very self-directed learning style, meaning kids could kind of choose their own schedule and had a lot of free time. This allowed Jennifer a lot more freedom while she was in school than she had ever gotten at home, which she fucking loved. And I would too if I were her and I had never had any free time. Um, Jennifer made most of her friends in high school in her fellow bandmates because she was in the school band where she played the flute. She spent most of her free time in the band room because, like I said, outside the band room, she did not have a lot of friends at first, but she did end up meeting her two best friends in a French class. These two best friends were Topaz Chu and Adrian Timkiewicz. Jennifer began to get along well in her high school, especially with this free learning style but she was still under a lot of pressure from both herself and her family to succeed. Because despite the free learning style and the free schedule that she had inside school, outside of school, she was still under a very, very rigid schedule. Right. After school, Han would pick her up immediately to rush her off to piano or skating, leaving her no time afterwards to socialize or be a normal kid. Right after practice, she would be taken home to study. Basically, inside school, she could act like a normal kid. Outside school, same old, same old. Yikes. Now, Jennifer had wanted to try out for her school's track team, but her parents wouldn't give her permission because they thought that it would detract from her other activities and from school. 
She also was not allowed to go to school dances, parties, or have a boyfriend until after university. So basically, Jennifer's just under lock and key. They really don't allow her to do much of anything. Right. Throughout high school, she'd only been allowed to attend one sleepover at her best friend Topaz's house. Now, um, here's where we're going to kind of get into some of the trigger warning, some of the self-harm. So, it was at this time in high school when some of her friends started to notice that Jennifer did have self-harm scars. And she said that most of the pressure on her came from her father and not her mother. Her mom kind of showed more sympathy, and Jennifer says, All she wanted was for me to do the best that I could. She knew that I was putting pressure on myself. When my father wasn't around, she'd console me. Jennifer continued to slave away at her practice, both in skating and piano, and she started to realize that school wasn't the most important thing in her life. She started to spend more time on the phone with her friends than doing homework. So, this is kind of understandable. She's still just acting like a normal fucking teenager, or even less than a normal fucking teenager, really. Like, she's not doing anything wrong. She's just hanging out with her friends after school, spending a little bit more time on the phone than doing her homework, which I feel like everybody does. Right, at some point in high school, you hit the wall and you stop putting your nose to the grindstone. Right. So, by the end of her first semester in grade 9, Jennifer received her first report card, and it was devastating for her. Pretty normal for most people, but not for her. Her parents had assumed that she had straight A's, but in reality, she had mostly B's, which translated to 70% if that's the grading system that you're used to. So she had mostly B's in all subjects except music, which she had an A in. Having mostly B's is pretty normal. Not a big deal to most people. But this would have been absolutely unacceptable to her parents. Anything under an A would have been the worst possible thing in the world. And so, Jennifer panicked about what she was going to do, what she was going to tell them. And so she figured out what she could do, and this is when she told her first lie. She doctored her report cards. She was able to convince herself that she could bring her grades up and it would be okay, since only the last two years of marks get considered for university admission in Canada. And so she basically used a scanner and doctored her first report card in high school, and her parents believed it. They believed that she had gotten all A's instead of B's. And she said that forging this report card allowed her to shrug off some of her own insecurities that she had about not being good enough. But she was still terrified of her father ever finding out the truth. That's understandable. I mean, I don't think that it's very easy to... Like, what are you gonna do if you fucked up? How do you tell your parents that, yeah, so you thought that I was getting all A's, but, um, gotcha. It's not always easy when you're a kid to accept the consequences for your actions. Right. And so I think that that's kind of what we're seeing with Jennifer is she's just not able to accept the consequences for what she did, which was essentially not her homework Right, and we'll see that this one lie kind of seriously fucking spiraled out of control. Definitely. Now, Jennifer also 
in addition to not being allowed to have a boyfriend, was not allowed to wear makeup, pluck her eyebrows, or dye her hair. She did sometimes wear a single blue clip-in extension outside of the house without her parents' knowledge, but, I mean, they control pretty much every aspect of her life. They push her extremely hard. She just really feels like she has nowhere to go. I cannot imagine being told, like, you're not allowed to fucking pluck your fucking eyebrows. <laughs> right. You're not allowed to have any form of expression at all, really. Yeah, like, you can't do anything to do anything to make yourself feel better about yourself, to feel more presentable, to do anything, like... Not anything. Right. And Han's reasoning for doing this is because he didn't want her looking attractive to boys. All right, buddy. I think that men sometimes get this idea in their heads that, like, if women aren't attractive, then men will leave them alone. And yeah. that's just not how life works. No, it's really fucking not. In reality, the reason that I started fucking plucking my eyebrows is because I was getting made fun of in school by other girls. Right. Not because I wanted fucking boys to like me. Right. Despite the rules that her dad put on her, Jennifer was human. Um, she had feelings, she had a heart, and in 10th grade, Jennifer and one of her good friends, Adrian, started to develop feelings for one another. And Jennifer's parents actually saw Adrian as an exception to their no bo boys rule. Um, he was quiet, respectful, he studied hard. He wanted to be an engineer, and his mom was a piano teacher, so essentially he was kind of the one exception to the rule, and her parents allowed him to date him. They felt that he was an innocent boy and that, you know, they would be okay with her being with him. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that they were okay with her dating him, and I think it's because they just thought that he was completely, completely innocent, and they were right because it was completely innocent so right now unfortunately the pans would not remain happy for long because six months after they started dating at the end of their 10th grade jennifer and adrian would break up because jennifer met a boy named daniel wong jennifer had actually known daniel since the start of her 10th grade they knew each other through the school band he played the trumpet she played the flute but they were only acquaintances until when on a band trip jennifer had an asthma attack and daniel was able to help calm her down as she panicked and she later claimed that he saved her life and she was like completely infatuated with him after this because she kind of saw him as her knight in shining armor even though in reality all he did was like tell her to breathe she was like i would have died if it wasn't for him he's the only one who cared about me i'm in love with him now which so high school <laughs> exactly high school i mean it's a better reason than half of the guys that i dated so <laughs> In the summer after Jennifer's 10th grade, she and Daniel started dating, and Jennifer kept her relationship with Daniel a complete and total secret from her parents. She knew that they would not approve, because although Daniel was in the band, he smoked a lot of pot and wasn't nearly as serious about school as Adrian was. Jennifer says that Daniel helped her further realize that having a good time in life was more important than school. And when Jennifer was in 11th grade, Daniel's parents switched him to a different high school because he had poor grades. 
Jennifer regularly started skipping class to go see him, and it was at this point that Daniel switched from just smoking weed to selling it. So Jennifer would sometimes accompany him on drug runs, and she admits to at least once having delivered weed to a classmate. So basically, Daniel is kind of the second dip downward from perfection for Jennifer. She was dating someone that her parents approved of, and then she broke up with him to date someone that she knew that her parents wouldn't approve of, and felt that she needed to lie about it. Right, yeah. And as for her grades, Jennifer never did seem to be able to bring them back up, so she continued to present her parents with fake ones that she made on Photoshop, and she continued to just get better and better at doctoring these report cards until she was pretty much an expert at it. Um, her grades weren't poor by any means, they were just simply average, like, probably, like, between the C plus to B plus range, but to the pants, this would have been an absolute failure. But her parents, still thinking her marks were good, allowed her to get a job at Eastside Mario's. And Han even gave her permission to use the family car to go to work as well. And this just gave her even more freedom to just see Daniel when she told her parents that she had a shift, even though she didn't. Right. Now, it was at this point in high school that her figure skating dreams were cut short because she tore her ACL so she could not hope to go to the Olympics any longer. Tragic. Yeah. Her parents are probably, like, really fucking upset. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. But as for the lying about the report cards, Jennifer kind of kept thinking that if she lied enough, she could get through high school, then move out, and not have her parents constantly supervising her. And boy, oh boy, was she fucking wrong about that. God. Before Jennifer was able to make it out of high school and move out of her parents' house, Bick caught her and Daniel in the parking lot of a mall kissing. And obviously Jennifer was in big trouble, but she tried to lie to her parents about Daniel to try and like soften the blow. She told them that he was studying to be an engineer and that, you know, he was a manager at the Boston Pizza and that, you know, he was basically just better than he was. Now, the reality is Daniel was studying music and he worked at the Boston Pizza, but all he did was dishes there. Basically, they're just She's just trying to make them like him. This girl cannot stop with the lying. And I I get it. Like, I get it that they're not going to like him if they know the truth, but she just cannot stop. Yeah, I think that Jennifer's just in this really tough headspace where she feels like the only way she can get any kind of approval or love from her parents is by lying. And she's willing to do that to get what she wants or to continue to do what she wants. After, you know, she told them about Daniel after they caught her, they agreed to meet him. And obviously that really didn't go well because Daniel wasn't at all who Jennifer said he was. And Han basically forbids Jennifer from ever seeing him again. Now, if we just are thinking here... What, what do we think's gonna happen? Do you think Jennifer's gonna listen and just this is gonna be the end of it? Oh yeah, Jennifer's gonna listen to her dad. She's gonna pull up her marks. She's gonna work hard. She's gonna go to med school. She's gonna go to the Olympics for Wushu and everything's gonna be good and she's gonna, everything's gonna be great. Right, yeah. So um, since that didn't happen, <laughs> 
clearly, based on who we know Jennifer to be by this point, yeah, basically she just continues to see Daniel and refuses to give up these lies. Right, yeah, she just kind of fucking continues lying to her parents and seeing him in secret, and it's a fucking mess. I mean, I think that I don't blame her necessarily for lying, because I think that they're putting so much pressure on her, but obviously I do blame her for how this story ends, so. Oh, for sure. I think, yeah. I don't blame her for lying about some things. I blame her for what she lies about next, though. Yeah. What she lies about next is bad, guys. It's bad. Yeah, it's pretty big. Okay, so Jennifer was able to receive an early admission offer to Ryerson University in Toronto. However, Jennifer's average grades began to decline, and she began to fail calculus. And obviously, she wasn't going to be able to graduate high school without calculus. And so after failing calculus in her last year of high school, the University of Ryerson withdrew its offer and... Worse, she was unable to graduate from high school. So, what did Jennifer Pan do? She doctored a fake diploma to show her parents and told them she would still be attending Ryerson in the coming fall. How she do you, also, sorry, how do you convince your parents that you're gonna go to college when you haven't even finished high school? Right? I literally have no idea. That's what blows my mind about Jennifer Pan. She also showed her parents graduation photos that had been taken earlier in the year. And then she says what she did next is what she considers to be the biggest mistake of her life. Yeah. Funny because she literally... Never mind. I know. Yeah. Oh god, Jennifer. You. She's a goddamn mess. Yeah. Now, instead of, like, copping to what happened, which is that she failed her class and wasn't going to be able to go to school, Jennifer just pretends that she's going to be going to university in the fall. And she claims that she's going to do two years of a science before transferring to the University of Toronto School for Pharmacology. And she, you know knew that that was what her dad wanted her to do was pharmacology so she's like I'll you know I'm pretending to do that degree program and then she doctored fake government loans and a $3,000 scholarship that she'd said she'd won to cover the cost of tuition so that like her parents weren't paying anything and they weren't curious about why they weren't paying anything she just pretended that she had a scholarship she would go to the library during the day and her parents thought that she was going to class At the library, she would research topics related to the program and fill notebooks with pages and pages of notes. So she would go to, like, the library and pretend to be going to school and, like, taking notes and everything. What a waste of fucking time. I feel like in that time, she could have just finished her diploma. Like, her parents would have been mad, but she could have just finished her fucking diploma, then actually gone to Ryerson. Instead of wasting all this goddamn time... Filling notebooks with pages of fake notes. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Now, in the rest of her free time, she would go to cafes or she would visit Daniel at York University where he was studying music. It wasn't just her parents that Jennifer was lying to. Jennifer lied to basically everyone but Daniel. 
she thought that it was safer to protect the secret so no one could know um, um yeah she when she said he said she lied to everyone she didn't just tell people that she was going to university she like kept up the act so i was reading in the book a daughter's deadly deception the book that i read about this case that her co-workers basically said that when she would be on break she would literally have her notebooks open and tell them that she was cramming for tests and just like study during her breaks and like be like i can't talk i'm cramming for a test like leave me alone what the fuck like yeah like her co-workers like genuinely believed that they were that she was in university and when her co-workers were studying sometimes she'd study with them like pretend that she had tests and stuff what the fuck i know she did so much to convince people that she was in school it makes me anxious thinking about lying to people to this extent i cannot handle it i think that she just felt stuck and she didn't know what to do, so she just pretended instead of, like, fixing the problem where it happened, she just pretended that it never happened. And, like, even maybe right. to herself, she just was, like, just still gonna go to school. Right. I think, like, to an extent, she probably believed it herself, yeah. Because, like, with lies this complex, it's kind of hard to keep it up if you don't Fucking believe it. yeah. Now... Han and Bick were also giving Jennifer money to buy a new laptop, clothes, school supplies. Anything that Jennifer needed, Han and Bick would buy for her because they felt that, like, you know, she had worked hard, she was doing what she was supposed to be doing, so they would just buy anything she wanted. They even co-signed a credit card for Jennifer. So Jennifer is using the fact that she's quote-unquote still in school to get the things that she wants and to do whatever she wants, even though she's just lying about it. Right. They're so proud of her that they're willing to buy anything for her because they've worked so hard up to this point to get Jennifer to the point that she's at. That they're like, we will give you whatever you need to succeed in school because we want you here. And she's just fucking taking everything that they give her and it's gross. I mean, can you imagine how betrayed they had to feel when they finally found out? I cannot. Especially Bick. Like, Bick was kind of the one that Jennifer was closer to, you know? Yeah. I don't know, it's just gross. It really is. Now, after two years at Ryerson, Jennifer informed her parents that she had been accepted into the University of Toronto's pharmacology program. And, of course, this was a complete lie, but Han and Beck were really happy for her. But because the commute was so long to the University of Toronto from her parents' home in Markham, she convinced them that staying for the beginning of the week at her friend Topaz's apartment would make this easier for her. Of course, on these nights, she was really staying at her boyfriend Daniel's home that he lived in with his family. She did this for two whole years she just stayed like for the first half of the week with daniel's family she told daniel's parents that her parents were completely fine with it and every time that they would ask to go out for dinner with her parents she would be like no they can't they just they're busy you know yeah and they would be like busy okay yeah (laughs) not they don't fucking know that i'm even seeing your son but daniel's parents fucking loved jennifer they thought that she was a great influence on him they thought that the fact that like 
she was in school was amazing because they also didn't know. They thought that Jennifer was amazing. Which, I mean, she kind of is, right? Like, if she were doing what she said she was doing, and if she had kind of not lied, it would she would be. She'd be the best girlfriend yeah. that they could pro- possibly imagine for their son, I'm sure. Right, exactly. It just happened that she was completely lying about everything. Now, when it came time for her to graduate from the University of Toronto, she told her parents that there weren't enough tickets, and each student was only going to get one ticket. Now, she claimed that she gave hers to a friend because she didn't want either of them to feel left out because they weren't going to be able to be there while the other one would. This is kind of Jennifer, again, if it were true, but the reality is that she just didn't graduate. (laughs) Poor Um, Han and poor Bic, because they wanted to be there at her graduation so bad. This is what they worked towards their entire life, to see Jennifer graduate from university. And then she's just like, nope, sorry, you can't come. Right. When Han asked to see pictures of her graduation, Jennifer claimed that a friend had them on her camera, but was on her way back to Hong Kong with the camera. So, essentially, you can't even see pictures of me graduating. Now, when asked about this time, Jennifer says, I tried looking at myself in the third person, and I didn't like who I saw. And she later said, but rationalizations in my head said I had to keep going, otherwise I would lose everything that ever meant anything to me. I think that that kind of explains a lot, like, why the web of lies just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Like, it goes from one report card, because she's scared of what her parents are gonna say, to, like, lying about her entire university career, because she's scared that she's gonna lose everything that means anything to her, like, her family, her parents. And not even just to them, but she's gonna lose their devotion she's gonna lose their pride because she's a people pleaser she wants them to be proud of her that's what she craves that's what she needs right so after graduation jennifer makes a horrible mistake when she tells her parents that she had gotten a job working for sick kids in a lab at the hospital she said that she would be working late friday nights and on weekends and asked to stay with her friend Topaz more nights of the week. Her dad was suspicious of this, and of the fact that she didn't have a uniform or ID badge for the hospital, which is really suspicious. Like, this was kind of a really dumb lie that Jennifer made up. I mean, it's just very documentable. Like, it's not hard for her parents to find out right like working at a hospital like there's certain things that you need to be able to work at a hospital and she didn't have any of it right and so because of his suspicions han insisted that jennifer allow them to drop her off for work her mom followed her in and jennifer hid in the hospital until her parents left they were still kind of suspicious though so the next morning they called her friend topaz But Topaz had forgotten the plan that Jennifer was supposed to be staying there on the weekends now as well. And Topaz told Jennifer's parents that she wasn't there. Oh, fuck. Yeah, this is fucking bad. Which, like, it's your fault, buddy. (laughs) But also... Oh, yeah, it's her fault. (laughs) But also, oh, fuck, that sucks. Now, essentially, the jig was up at this point and Jennifer got into huge trouble. She admitted that she had never gotten into the pharmacology program and that she had been staying with Daniel the nights that she had been claiming that she was staying with Topaz in the city. 
Now, she maintained the lies about Ryerson University and about graduating high school. Han tried to kick her out, but Bick talked him into letting her stay. Han decided to give her an ultimatum. Either stay home and go back to school, or go back to Daniel and never come back home. Jennifer decided that she was going to choose her family. This is really kind of a turning point, and this is kind of where everything really unravels, and Jennifer continues to lie after this, but this is really where things start to unravel. And I think it's really interesting that she continues to lie about Ryerson and graduating high school because I feel like at this point if you're admitting you didn't get into the pharmacology program and you're not working in the hospital and you're still seeing Daniel you might as well just tell them that you didn't graduate high school or Ryerson either like just fucking tell them right now just get it all out so that they fucking know so they don't find out later I think that that seems to be the logical choice, but I think that for Jennifer, she's just not able to admit what she's done. She just can't give up the jig, you know? Yeah, you're right. So, her punishment was that her phone and laptop were taken for two weeks, and when they gave them back, she could only use them when she was around them. They would randomly ask to check her messages. Her parents also made Jennifer quit all of her jobs, except for teaching piano. They also forbade her from seeing Daniel. She would call him late at night, though, when her parents were asleep, and delete the calls from her cell phone log. Eventually, her parents allowed her some freedom, and she enrolled in a calculus class so she could finish her high school diploma. So she did end up trying to finish her high school diploma, but without her parents' knowledge. Her parents never knew that she never finished high school. Right. And she would visit Daniel between piano lessons. I just want to say Jennifer's like 22 and I know she's seriously betrayed her family's trust but also she's 22 and she should be able to be allowed to date whoever she wants because she's 22. Yeah she's fucking 22 years old. I know 22 year olds should have to feel like they have to lie about everything in their goddamn life. Right. But anyways that's just what I'm gonna say. I mean I think that we can say like on one hand what Jennifer does is obviously fucked up. But on the other hand, there should have been leniency and grace and Mm -hmm. room for Jennifer to fail. Right. Because, so, Jennifer went to Ryerson and University and University of Toronto because those were the only options she was given by her parents because she was not allowed to apply for any schools away from home because her parents wouldn't allow her to move out of the house. Right. Even though she would have been an adult. She's 22 at this point and her dad still doesn't let her, like, pluck her eyebrows or wear makeup. Um, right. They they basically just don't treat her like an adult human. No, not at all. So, like, on one hand, should she have lied? No, but on the other hand, like, her parents kind of fucking suck at the same time. Right. Not that it makes any of it right, but just... No. Just, like, giving perspective. (laughs) Now, one night, Jennifer snuck out to stay with Daniel, but her mom had left her wallet in Jennifer's room, and she went in to look for it. And after finding out that Jennifer was gone, Jennifer was immediately called up and ordered to come home, and she was in huge trouble. Her parents debated sending her away to stay with an uncle in New Brunswick to cut Daniel out of her life. But in desperation, Jennifer concocted another lie. She told her parents that she'd gotten a job at a Walmart pharmacy, 
and obviously her father was really happy about this and allowed Jennifer to use the car to go to work. Jennifer's lies began to fall apart when Han grew suspicious once more about her not having a uniform or a swipe card. One day, he told her again that he would be driving her to work, but she had a plan and managed to sneak in the employee door. Han still didn't believe her, and when he asked to see Jennifer's bank statements with proof of payment from Walmart, she admitted the truth. I think that, on one hand, I cannot believe Han believed her. Right. In the first place. Um, but, my god. But, so, she admitted the truth, and in response, Han screamed, You're a liar, over and over again at Jennifer. She had totally, totally lost her parents' trust at this point, which kind of makes sense. (laughs) Her parents told her that she needed to apply to college to be a lab technician or a nurse, and to cut off contact with Daniel once and for all. Jennifer was resistant at first, but Daniel was kind of tired of everything. He either wanted her to choose him and be with him properly, or not to be with him at all. So he broke up with her and began dating another woman by the name of Christina. Jennifer was also not allowed to leave the home under any circumstances without her mother or father. Her bedtime was monitored, her cell phone was checked constantly, and the house phone was as well. It was kind of like she was on house arrest. And Jennifer's friends found the whole situation ridiculous and made many attempts to try to help her move out of her parents' house. But each time she refused, saying she did not want to be alone. I kind of agree with Jennifer's friends in that, like, You either have two options here if you're Jennifer, you know. You either go to school, finish fucking high school, and at least do that, you know. Don't lie about going to university and all these things to your parents. Concoct all these lies to your parents. Or if you don't want to do that, and you don't want to be under this, like, fucking ridiculous, these fucking ridiculous rules at home, then just move out, you know. Right. I mean, I think it's... easy to say from like one perspective because i think that family is hard like family is really hard oh it is really hard it is definitely hard but like it's better than what she did you know no absolutely i'm not i'm not advocating for what jennifer does i'm just saying no i'm not just what she does but like lying about go graduating high school lying about going to university like just fucking move out if you don't want to do any of those things Right. Like, you know that they're gonna find out eventually. There's no way they're not gonna find out eventually. Right. And you already have a job. Just fucking move out then. And I understand that it's not as easy as it sounds, but, like, they are your parents and they hopefully will come around eventually. So, I don't know. Like, it's just... These lies are just... There's just a simpler solution to these lies. I mean, what Jennifer's doing is clearly not functional. Mm-mm. It's it's clearly not functional. It's just hard. After Daniel broke up with Jennifer, he began to get calls from unknown numbers, and he began to also get threatening text messages. Now, this soon escalated, and both Christina and Jennifer were also getting text messages as well. When Daniel asked Jennifer about them, Jennifer denied that she had sent the text messages, and the text that Daniel received had content telling him not to talk to Jennifer and that he should focus all his attention on his girlfriend, Christina. Jennifer received text messages telling her that she was ugly and not as good as Christina. So 
it's starting to look like Christina's sending these messages to get Jennifer and Daniel to stop talking. Right, it's looking like Christina's sending these messages, but also why is Christina getting these messages too? It's just kind of weird. I guess I mean, she could be sending the messages to throw them off. I, if I were, like, in this situation, I'd be like, oh, well, Christina's texting herself to make mm-hmm. everything look bad. Right. But, so, Christina, the messages she was getting would be messages telling her to be careful where she went. But, yeah, like you said, she could just be sending them to herself. But Jennifer told Daniel that, like, after she started getting these text messages, then told Daniel that cars would pull up outside her house and park there. And it was at those times that she would get text messages, making her feel as though she was being stalked. As well, Jennifer told Daniel that she got a letter telling her that she was a, quote, dead person walking, followed by a phone call by someone telling her that they were watching her. Cool, 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 cool. At this information, Daniel grew increasingly concerned for Jennifer's safety. And so the two began communicating more regularly while Daniel checked in on her often. So Daniel now had a very flirtatious relationship with Jennifer while continuing his relationship with Christina at this point. So I'm just gonna fucking say, is Jennifer sending these goddamn text messages to herself, to Daniel, and to Christina. She's trying to make it look like Christina's sending them. It's not Christina. It's Jennifer sending them to everyone. And she didn't get any fucking letter. There's no one outside her goddamn house. Jennifer's just a fucking master manipulator and liar. And now she's lying to the one person that she never ever fucking lied to, Daniel. Because he broke up with her. She Because he broke up with her. And she will do absolutely anything she can to get him back. And that's the reality of the situation. Right. I mean, I think that Jennifer just wants to control everything, and I think that that's pretty clear. Yeah. Everything else aside, Jennifer is very clearly just trying to be in control of not only her own life, but, like, the lives of the people around her as well. Right. And speaking of wanting to be in control, it is at this point that Jennifer got into contact with an old acquaintance who she started plotting the murder of her parents with and that's we're gonna leave you guys off with yeah we hope you enjoyed the episode um yeah sorry to leave you on a little bit of a cliffhanger but hopefully you enjoyed it and we will see you for part two part two is going to be a fun one we're going to talk about the murders possibly murders maybe definitely the planning and how jennifer gets caught yes and the trial it's crazy it's going to be crazy but this episode was really fucking fun because it was really fun to delve into all the lies i hope uh, this episode is actually set to go out on inauguration day so i hope the world has not fucking exploded the day that this goes out because we're recording this early yeah good luck to you guys hopefully that everything goes well and um yeah future us just um i guess we can all cry together yeah if you guys enjoyed this episode share it with anybody else who you think might enjoy it we would really appreciate that also consider leaving us a review and rating on ample podcasts those help us out a lot follow us on instagram at fatal tales on twitter at fatal tales pod we will have our social medias linked in the show notes as always you can also send us an email for any case suggestions at fataltales at gmail.com. And remember guys, be gay and don't do crimes. Or at least don't get caught. Have a good one guys.
Have a good one. Bye.